Scott McNamara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education, bringing you a very exciting new episode uh, with somebody local this time. I have a lot of people always coming in and from all over the nation, and today I'm sitting with uh, Steve Hewsome, who works with Adaptive Golf Iowa, and we're very excited. He has a nonprofit where he teaches um, kids with disabilities or people with disabilities how to golf lifelong golfers and he does it both at the, the competitive level as well as just for recreation um, and Steve I want to just start out by just having you introduce yourself a little bit about how you got interested in golf as well as how you got interested in the world of disability okay well that's uh, that's, that's a pretty broad topic and, and kind of long but I'll try to try to give you a summary um, yeah, my name is Steve Hewson, like you said, Scott, and I've, uh, I've grown up here in Cedar Falls, uh, was born and raised here, moved away for a short time, came back to the Cedar Valley because we love it so much. Uh, my wife and I both graduated from Cedar Falls High School, and I started playing golf probably when I was about 12 years old, and my parents got me a set of golf clubs when I was a kid, and and I had a, a wonderful golf course. Uh, it was called Washington Park Golf Course. It's no no longer there. Used to lo- run alongside the Cedar River down behind the utilities building. And uh, me and some buddies, when we were you know 12, 13 years old, we'd go down there and play golf all day long on Saturdays. And you know it was a little nine-hole course that we could play as many times as we wanted to for a couple bucks. Uh, it was really a pretty good deal. And so. Yeah, I kind of got started playing golf when I was young. I was self-taught. I really had no coaching or had nobody uh, help me. I just went out and swung the club and learned uh, every time you, you take a swing. And so, um, yeah, I kind of walked away from the game for, you know, 10 or 15 years when uh, my wife and I were just uh, newly married and I was starting my career and our kids were born and, you know, golf just kind of took a back seat because I really just didn't have a lot of time. Uh, to dedicate towards playing, but um, but then I, I you know kind of came back to the game in my uh, late 30s uh, and uh, really started uh, wanting to learn how to play a little bit more competitively. Always striving to try to you know try to play golf a little bit better, and you know uh, that's one of the things that I love about the game because it's it's a personal challenge that you're not really playing against another person. You're always playing and always trying to improve yourself against the golf course, and um, you know it's uh, it it can be a, a big challenge, and uh, but it's something that uh, you can you know spend some time and you can see the improvements, you know from one shot to the next or mm-hmm. from one day to the next, one week to the next, and you know so I really kind of got hooked on it you know back then and and. Um, so yeah, I, I I enlisted the help of one of our local PGA professionals, a guy by the name of Andy Devine. He was the PGA pro at uh, Irv Warren Golf Course here in Waterloo, and uh, Andy uh, worked with me. And you know, uh, one of the things that I found out is that I struggled all this time, you know, trying to learn how to swing the golf club on my own. When you know, if I would have went to him early on. Uh, you know, he had me swinging the golf club really, really well in just a few, a few lessons. So, 
Um, so I had gone to see Andy quite a bit, off and on. And then uh, about five years ago, I was involved in a, uh, a pretty horrific motorcycle accident. And uh, <clears throat> in the course of that accident, one of the things, you know, I was just very grateful and blessed to, to have survived it. Uh, but <clears throat> I had a lot of multiple injuries. And uh, the most significant was to my right leg where we had to amputate my leg below the knee. Uh, my left leg uh, was, uh, the knee was severely dislocated. Ultimately, we had to do a total knee replacement uh, to put that knee back together and give me a new one. And I also have, uh, you know, I had a shattered right elbow and, you know, I had to put that back together with a lot of pins and screws and things like that. So uh, I was, uh, you know, laying in a hospital bed pretty much for about 60 days and really couldn't uh, even start any kind of rehabilitation for nearly uh, three months. And uh, so I took a lot of time away and, and during that time, you know, you think about a lot of things, your own mortality, you think about, you know, am I ever going to be able to do, you know, this again or that again? And, you know, for me, uh, you know, I really, uh, it was a, a really depressing thought and struggled a little bit to figure out, you know, is this, uh, you know, am I ever going to be able to walk again? Am I going to be able to walk, you know, somewhat normally without, you know, limping or, you know, having a, a, a big hitch in my, in my gait? So yeah, after you know, after uh, going to countless hours of physical therapy and occupational therapy, I was able to, you know, able to walk again, mm -hmm. and I was really uh, you know wanting to get back on the golf course. That was something that, you know, later on in life, it was uh, you know you, you you have some of these hobbies in your life and some things that you really like to do, and you know when those are taken away from you, you feel less than whole, mm -hmm. and. So for, to me, you know, getting back on the golf course was a huge step in my recovery. And so, you know, I uh, talked to my good friend, Andy, at the Irv Warren Golf Course, my, my golf coach, and him and I got together and worked on, uh, worked on a few things, and he had me uh, back, on the, back on the golf course swinging the golf club in about, uh, it was about 18 months after, after the accident. So... Uh, being able to be back on the golf course uh, was a huge uh, accomplishment in my recovery, and that's what uh, you know really helped me kind of get through was knowing that you know at some point I'm going to be able to actually get out and play golf again someday. So, uh, so that was uh, uh, a big um, you know a big thing for me was to be able to do that, and then you know one of the things that um, as I started getting back on the golf course and started playing, um, you know, I hooked up with the same local group of guys that I play with on the weekends, and we have a good time, and, and we play for fun. And um, But I found out that there's a, uh, uh, Iowa has an amputee golf tournament every year. So I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. So I registered for the tournament, and my first year playing was I believe it was 20, 2016 was my first year uh, playing in the tournament. And I met a lot of really, really cool people that, you know, all have a, uh, a similar disability or greater. Uh, that's one of the things I found out as I, as I started, um, you know, going down this path and started meeting other people is, you know, I found out that somebody always has it worse than you do. And as, as bad as my injuries were and, and as long as it took me to recover from them, 
uh, I've met a lot of really good people that have overcome a heck of a lot more than I've had to overcome. And uh, that's really, to me, very inspiring when you see these people. And, and most of them, you know, have the same kind of attitude I have. And that is just, you know, we just like to get out and play and just mm-hmm. enjoy life. You know, we got, we got nothing to be um, complaining about. A, a beautiful day on the golf course is a beautiful day on the golf course. And that beats, you know, just about a lot of things. And uh, whether you're playing well or you're not playing so well, um, it's hard to beat a, a, a beautiful day walking around the golf course and, and, uh, and being able to see the sights and, and uh, spend the day in the sunshine. So, um, so after, uh, after I played in that event and I had some success, um, finished the first year, I think I finished in the top uh, eight or nine uh, wow. uh, spots. And um, you know, so I started looking and there was, uh, I found out that there's all these amputee golf tournaments all over the Midwest. Mm. And Iowa has one, and Minnesota has one, and Wisconsin has one, there's one in Omaha, there's one in Missouri, and then they have a regional tournament in uh, Chicago, it's the Midwest Amputee Tournament, as well as a national uh, tournament that, uh, that I uh, had the opportunity to go and play in uh, in, 20, uh, in the summer of 2018. So uh, all great experiences. Every time I go to play in one of these, uh, you know, I meet a lot of really neat people from all over the country and some really, really good players. Definitely. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are scratch handicap players. Uh, they regularly shoot, you know, par or under par uh, at these tournaments. Uh, so it, uh, it's, you know, to me it was one of those things that, you know, if you're a competitor and you like to compete and you have an accident like I had, uh, the competitor never goes away. You know, you always want to compete, and I use that uh, to my advantage when I was in recovery and going through therapy is, you know, that competitor in me just, you know, made me get out of bed every day and do something that was going to make today better than yesterday. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, what helped me just get up and get, you know, overcome a lot of this was, was my attitude towards how I was going to treat mm-hmm. the therapy and the recovery part of it was... You know, and that's that's the competitor that I think a lot of people. It's it's inside you. Uh, if you uh, if you have that competitive spirit, um, it, it doesn't go away just because you you, know, you lose a limb or uh, you have something else happen to you. you know, that competitiveness is still there. You just got to find a different way to compete, or maybe on a different level, mm-hmm. or with different uh, competition. But you know, the competitiveness never never goes away. It's always there. So, when did you, so, so it sounds like you had this experience that, um, you know, a life-changing experience as well as then golf kind of played a piece of that experience and, um, you know, it sounds like it was a really positive experience overall that you, that you were able to, and it was something motivating as well and kind of drive this entire kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, like bouncing back or something like that. So, so from there, you start a nonprofit. Yeah, and, we, and yeah, so, so yeah, talk, talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, one of the things that I did, you know, really before I started, you know, back uh, playing, um, you know, some of the competitive golf is, you know, I felt, you know, again, very blessed and very grateful that uh, I was able to survive this horrific uh, you know, accident that, you know, happened and, and really changed my life, uh, you know, just changed everything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but in a lot of ways it changed it for the good. And one of the things that, uh, as I reflected through my recovery process, you know, a lot of time to think, you know, a lot of downtime. So uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think we need to do something that, uh, you know, something good has to come out of, you know, this whole bad uh, accident. So, you know, what can we do that can maybe help you know, help other people that may be also going through a very difficult time like, like I did. And as I was in the hospital facing the fact that I was going to lose a limb, um, there wasn't really anybody, you know, for me to talk to that had experienced uh, a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, uh, uh, I talked to the doctors, you know, I talked to some of the therapy people, I even talked to a prostatist at the hospital. but. None of them could really answer simple questions for me, like you know, what's it going to be like now if I, you know, if I choose to amputate my leg? What's it going to be like? How am I going to drive a car? Or how am I going to take a shower? Or how do you do this or that? Sure. It's just you know, kind of weird things that just run through your mind. But until you really talk to somebody that's lived that experience, it's hard to relate to people, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, you know, they gave me the best advice that they could, but it really wasn't like I was talking with someone that, you know, that uh, that lived the life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just felt like there was a real void and a need to start something, uh, a charity of some sort, a nonprofit that would help other amputees or people that were facing having an amputation uh, to get some information to educate themselves, uh, and in some cases may need some financial assistance because, um, you know, in the world we live in in healthcare today, uh, insurance providers or other providers that you may have uh, for covering your medical costs don't a lot of times go far enough. And we had to learn all this stuff firsthand, and, you know, it was like walking through a minefield and, you know, just trying to figure out where to step. Sure. But, um, you know, we've kind of figured that out, and now we've started a, a nonprofit uh, charity to help others that may be going through a very similar thing that need some help. And, yeah. You know, some of that help may be just navigating, you know, how do I navigate through this, uh, you know, through the, uh, the insurance uh, requirements and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, a lot of people don't know what's included uh, in their insurance until you actually need it. Sure. Uh, it's a hard way to find out, but that, mm-hmm. unfortunately that's how some people find out what their what their insurance covers and what it doesn't cover. And so we, we've got uh, some people that we've uh, networked with that can help uh, go through uh, your uh, explanation of benefits with mm-hmm. your insurance provider. Um, we can help you, you know, if it's Medicare or if it's VA or if it's uh, private insurance, whatever it might be. Uh, we can help answer some of those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also uh, do a fair amount of advocacy work on behalf of the limb loss community. Uh, I've networked myself with the Amputee Coalition of America. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the the national overreaching umbrella for you know people living with uh, amputations, and they do a terrific job of lobbying and working on behalf of the limb loss community on a national level. Uh, in uh, in Washington D.C., but uh, they also need people, grassroots people, uh, in the states to help with um, you know any type of laws that may be 
either looked at or, or uh, changes uh, in those laws mm -hmm. that may affect uh, positively or negatively uh, the limb loss community. And so we're, uh, we're networked with them, and so we advocate on behalf of uh, the limb loss community here in the state of Iowa. Very cool. And uh, so we do that, and then we also provide uh, peer support uh, through the Amputee Coalition. I've gone through their classes and been certified as oh. a uh, certified peer visitor. So I do a number of, of um, uh, based on requests that come in through their, uh, through their database. I'll go to the hospitals and I'll talk with people that either just had an amputation or they're thinking about getting one or needing one. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll go and visit with them and, and take them some information that uh, is provided by the coalition. And uh, just, you know, be a friendly ear to... Kind of be like what you were saying when you went through the, the exactly. doctors and not, not really having anybody right. that went through. I, now, um, going back real quick to that advocacy piece, do you ever do any advocacy based in anything with physical activity or sport related stuff? Does uh, that ever come down the pipeline? Well, I haven't done that yet, but that's certainly an area that we can explore for sure. Yeah. Um, because, you know, for me, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I want to, you know, take our foundation and start doing is is getting people out and get them active yeah. uh, through a lot of different sports. Obviously, I chose golf because, sure. you know, golf is kind of my thing. But uh, you know we we're we're embarking on and working with um, uh, some people that uh, I haven't really started a, a support group per mm -hmm. se. I do peer support one on one, you know, kind of uh, uh, support and coaching and talking with people. But I haven't really done a support group. And one of the reasons that I haven't done that yet is because you know my idea of a support group is not you know showing up to a, a a big boardroom or sitting around a you know a, a, in a group in a in an empty room sitting around talking about our aches and pains and troubles um, certainly those things all kind of come into play but what I like to do is I like to you know surround myself with very positive thinking forward thinking yeah, people, yeah. people that are active people that want to get out and do things and then you know let's try to figure out a way how we can adapt sure uh, whatever it is we want to do to the people that we're trying to serve. And I so, think having sports and such like that for pe everyone to do, I think, is a form of support group. Oh, you absolutely. Know? So, and and, and yeah. yeah, it's great that it also that you want to reach out and kind of do a, a multitude of different sports because absolutely, we, you know, able-bodied people have, uh, such as myself, we have a million different sports that we can at any point mm -hmm. just go jump into, uh, but a lot of times those things aren't accessible. And even knowing that they're accessible, I think, you know, because I don't have to even think about if I want to go down the street and whatever, join a uh, rec ball, uh, like a basketball league or something like that. I can just go do that. But for the A, there's just like, I don't if you're an amputee or, or other type of disability, a lot of times you don't even think that that stuff's available to you. Mm -hmm. B, A, and probably it's not available to you. Um, so there's, you know, that, that thinking towards it as well as then it actually may not be um, accessible to you. Um, so that's that's really great that you're trying to do all that, and uh, please let me partner with you in a way that with that stuff because that's. I, why do you think why why is it important from your perspective? Now I'm a, I have a PhD in this stuff. I love it, but I want to know your perspective on why is this why is physical activity and sport so important to you, and for the disability community that you represent. 
Well, you know, I can speak really only from my personal experience, but why I think that sports in general or activities are important is because, you know, if you, if you don't find something that you're motivated by and you want to try to improve or get better, then you're slowly, you know, just letting life, you know, kind of pass you by. And I think that you, you, everybody has to have something in their life that gives them, um, you know, passion, something that makes them want to get out of bed in the morning. And for some people, that's their work. So for some people, that's, uh, you know, an activity that they like to do with their friends. For some people, it's, you know, it's uh, taking care of their children, you know, whatever it might be. But you have to have... I think you always have to have something, and that something is always evolving as you age mm -hmm. and change and get older and you know, do different things, but I always think you have to have something that motivates you to want to do something, to mm -hmm. want to get better, and, you know, and for me, it's, um, you know, I like a challenge, you know, I like, uh, and that's one of the reasons I like golf so much, because you know, you're, you're challenging yourself against the golf course. And sure. There's always room for improvement. There's always ways to get better. Uh, and that one day is like the, the, the previous one. But mm -hmm. I always like, you know, th I like to try things that I haven't done before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, um, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, last year for our foundation, we do a, a fundraiser in April every year. We bring in a keynote speaker uh, usually an amputee that's gone on to do some really wonderful uh, things. And last year we brought in uh, a young lady, she was from San Antonio, and she runs a organization called the San Antonio Amputee Association. Mm. And so she does a lot of support group type of activities. And she's in a much bigger market than, than we're in obviously here, so she gets uh, quite a bit of participation. But she took you know, one of the big things that she did as a challenge is she took, um, you know, nine of her uh, amputees from her support group a few years ago, and they climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And, and they took this as a somewhat of a challenge because everybody's got their mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. No matter what it is, everybody's got their challenge they're dealing with, and whatever that mountain is that they're trying to get over, this was just kind of a literal you know, way to uh, to actually let's set everything aside and figure out a way for us to go climb this mountain. And some people were, you know, below knee amputees, some of them were above knee amputees, some were arm amputees. It didn't matter. But they they all took this trek together and they climbed that mountain. And there was one gentleman that uh, uh, his amputation was uh, really close to his hip. So he didn't have enough bone really to wear a prosthesis. Mm -hmm. So he, he climbed that mountain and took that journey on one leg and two forearm crutches. Wow. And I can't even Sounds imagine, dangerous. yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine what kind of pain he felt as they were, you know, in, getting into some of that higher elevation. But that's, you know, I mean, that's the thing that, um, you know, to me, we, we named our foundation the Hewson Strong Foundation. And, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I think that word, you know, maybe gets a little overused, you know, and, um, you know, in a lot of different phrases. But, you know, I chose it because, to me, it's not, you know, a physical strength. It's a mental strength. And having, you know, that mental 
the strength to get over just about anything that God might throw in front of you, um, you know, is going to make you a stronger, better, uh, more capable person. Mm. And probably, you know, one of the things that um, uh, this has done for me is it's it's allowed me to have uh, a little bit more empathy and compassion that maybe I didn't have prior to this accident. Um, so I think it's made me a little bit more rounded as a person, and I see things in a different light. Definitely. And, and I probably have a lot better attitude, you know, now that uh, than I did before because, you know, life is so precious and it's short, and it was almost taken away from me, and so that makes me appreciate it, you know, just a little bit more than maybe I did before. Definitely. That's a profound thing that I probably, I can't completely comprehend. Um, well, let's go a little bit to this nonprofit where, you, where you're focusing on adaptive golf. Let's talk about sure. that because you got some unique stuff going on with that. I know that you, it, one of the things that I, I think is really great is that you have these, um, you've got four different uh, adaptive golf carts where it allows for a golfer that may not be, um, that might, you know, uh, not be ambulatory mm -hmm. uh, to be able to have like kind of like a proper position while they're golfing uh, and you've given that out to some of the, the local mm -hmm. golf areas which I think is really cool because once again that allows people just to freely go out and uh, to golf and such so right. talk a little bit about that and also sure. what, what are the other things that you're providing specific to golf well one of the things that we did a couple of years ago is uh, we started uh, having an adaptive golf clinic in this in conjunction with our uh, four-person best shot fundraiser tournament in the afternoon and one of the, uh, the the clinic is free to anybody with any type of disability that wants to come out and just get some one-on-one -on -one coaching and some help in learning how to swing the golf club and uh, so we had a young man that came out and he was a spinal cord injury uh, veteran and we put him on uh, one of the adaptive golf carts that we had borrowed for the day to help us with his clinic. And, you know, the first, you know, probably eight or nine swings that he took, uh, you know, the ball never got off the ground. And he was getting a little frustrated, and he kept listening to the coach and what he was trying to tell him. And about that ninth or tenth swing, he hit that ball right on the face of the club, and the ball went up in the air about 100 yards downrange. And the smile on his face... Uh, was absolutely priceless and for the next 45 minutes you know it was hard to get him off the golf cart because he was having so much fun and afterwards I talked to him and I said uh, you know thanked him for coming and he said where can I rent or borrow or use one of these carts yeah for me to go out and play with totally with, rather with than my just like once a year right, right? so like because yeah. I'm able to go do this whenever I want Exactly. And it shouldn't just be one once a year, which is great that you've done that. Yeah. yeah. And so I looked at it with, you know, I was just a, I said, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I said, there is no place that I'm aware of, you know, in our community or anywhere in the state sure. where you can actually go to a public golf course and use, uh, you know, an adaptive cart. So I said, you know, we need to put a stop to that. We need to figure out a solution to that mm -hmm. problem. And so uh, that put me on, on a mission to spend the next uh, 12 months or so trying to raise enough money 
to uh, to be able to purchase yeah. a couple of these golf carts. My original idea was to try to purchase two uh, adaptive carts and put one in Cedar Falls and one in Waterloo, and that way at least each community would have one. Yeah. Well, luckily for us, we've got some very very generous uh, entities in our community that. Uh, we applied for grants and uh, they came through for us and were able to supply us with enough funding that we were able to buy four of these Solo Rider adaptive golf carts and they allow a person to sit in the cart, they're strapped in and so if, you're a, if, if you have uh, uh, not the use of your lower limbs or you've got balance problems or you know, you just don't feel very uh, strong standing up. You know, mm -hmm. these will allow you to, to, to balance on them. And you can, you know, swing the golf club. Uh, the, the, the seat elevates and puts you in a vertical position so you can stand and swing without the fear of falling over. Definitely. Uh, and it also has hand controls, and it's designed to go anywhere on the golf course. You can drive it right up on the tee box. You can drive it right up on the green. And you can go out and... Uh, you know, like for this gentleman who was paralyzed, uh, he, you know, he can call up any one of our four public golf courses now, reserve the golf cart, and be able to go out and use it uh, at no charge to him and go play golf, a round of golf with his buddies anytime he wants. That's very nice. So uh, it, was, um, it was a mission that we were hoping to accomplish in, uh, in a year, and we were able to get it done in just slightly less than a year. So that's an ambitious uh, thing to try to take on in a year, honestly. Working a little bit in nonprofits and grant writing and all that stuff—that's an ambitious one. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about, and we talked about this really briefly, um, but you're in some—you're you're a stakeholder in trying to get uh, adaptive golf to be recognized in the Paralympics. Absolutely. So if you can talk about and long time ago now, like my fourth episode, we had somebody on here talking about beat baseball. If any, I have any hardcore fans from 60 episodes ago that remember that one, Tanner Gears, we talked about, he was a Paralympian uh, in track and field and was also in the beat baseball trying to get it up there, um, which I don't, we need to do a follow-up episode because I don't know what happened to that. But um, so, but talk about your... Uh, place on that you know in that conversation as well as um, what it takes to get something like adaptive golf to the Paralympic level. Okay well that's a, a great subject um, you know through my journey in, in uh, playing golf as well as uh, trying to bring adaptive golf here to the Cedar Valley you know I've been involved and have gotten involved with uh, a group called uh, an organization called the USAGA so a lot of people understand the USGA, the United States Golf Association. Uh, this is the United States Adaptive Golf Alliance. Mm -hmm. And they, they uh, follow uh, pretty closely uh, the governing body, which is the USGA over amateur golf in the United States. And uh, their mission is to make golf a Paralympic sport, uh, hopefully in the 2020 Tokyo Games. Not sure if we're going to be able to get it recognized uh, right now uh, because of the timing of it. Uh, but I think what they're trying to do is is uh, send a team over to Tokyo and uh, have a demonstration Got it. and play a uh, uh, play somewhat of a demonstration competition so that it wouldn't be uh, totally recognized. But it's the it's the next step in getting golf recognized as a Paralympic sport. 
And so in order for them to do that, the first thing they needed to do is they needed to get all these other uh, bodies that govern golf around the, uh, around the world to come together yeah. and create a standardized process for uh, creating uh, classifications for disabilities. So there's 14 different classifications now, uh, anywhere from blindness to um, cerebral palsy to uh, uh, paralysis, uh, multiple limbs mm -hmm. uh, missing, uh, my case below knee amputees, above knee amputees, multiple amputees, that kind of thing. So there's 14 different uh, classifications. And then uh, what they've done is they've developed a world golf ranking point system. So when I go and play in some of these more competitive tournaments around the country, uh, they're worth uh, world ranking points. And your world ranking points are determined by uh, the golf course, the slope, the rating, how tough, how difficult the golf course is, uh, the field, who, who's all in the field and who you're playing against and some of the other scores in that field. And so they've come up with a formula and a compilation of all of those factors to develop your world golf ranking points. So they have a system now. So um, you know, I can go on their website and I can see I, I played in a world golf ranking event last week in, in Atlanta and uh, I can see where, you know, now where my world ranking is uh, in the world of uh, adaptive golf. Mm. Uh, they How have, do you do? Well, I, <laughs> that's a, it's a great question. I, it's a, it was a two-day tournament. If it would have been one day, I would have been great. Oh. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately for me, it was two days. And the second day, you know, I didn't play quite so well. So, uh, but I ended up uh, in a tie for third. And uh, well, That sounds really good. In, my, in our flight, I finished 14th overall. There was uh, a little over 60 players. That's... I think there were 62 players there. So... Yeah, I, I didn't think it was too awfully bad. Uh, obviously, for me, I always like to, uh, you know, play better than than I did. Sure. Uh, if I played to the best of my ability and still get beat, that's I can live with that. Sure. When I beat myself, that's a little harder to live with. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, met a lot of really great people. I always do when I go travel and and play in these events. There's there's such uh, really class. Uh, cool people that play in these events and are, and are participating. And they're doing a lot for the sport, you know, to develop uh, adapt golf. And one of the reasons that I chose to go to Atlanta and play in this tournament was there's a gentleman down there, he's a PGA professional uh, in uh, Atlanta, and his name is Dave Windsor. And Dave is kind of the, the um, oh, I, I would say he's kind of the pioneer for adaptive golf across the U.S. He's developed so many really good uh, programs down in the southeast where, you know, golf you can play there almost year-round. And uh, so I wanted to meet him, and I wanted to expand my network uh, so that as we develop adaptive golf here in, in Iowa, that we're uh, able to capitalize and take advantage of some of the things that, that they know and they learned along the way as they were developing their programs and, and would pass along that knowledge to us. And so, you know, moreover than, you know, the golf would have been, you know, I, w I wish I would have finished better, but mission was accomplished because I got to meet a lot. I met Dave Windsor and a lot of other uh, really great people that he introduced me to that I think are going to be a big help in uh, developing our adaptive golf program here in Iowa and take what they've learned and, 
in uh, Georgia and Florida and the Carolinas and be able to bring it up here north and really put on a, uh, uh, a really good um, program that uh, people with all types of disabilities are going to be able to take advantage of. So uh, my last question before we wrap this up is kind of like with this uh, Cedar Fall or sorry Cedar Valley Adaptive Golf um, nonprofit and, and clinics that you're putting on uh, what is the future looking like for you? So what is your next steps with this with um, this project? And it sounds like you're bringing people in. You're going to improve that clinic. What else are you planning on doing? Well, my goal, uh, Scott, would, my goal would be to, now that we've purchased the adaptive equipment mm -hmm. for people to use, uh, it's not good enough to just have the equipment and just let it sit in the barn without people knowing about it. So. Yeah. Uh, the first step is to you know get the word out, let people know that it is available to them, how they you know how they can use it, and uh, and then uh, throughout the year next year, I want to be able to put on different events, free clinics, uh, activities for adaptive golfers to come out and participate in, so that uh, they build their confidence, uh, they they know that they're welcome to come out and they're. You know, it's a, it's a very fun environment. We've got, you know, some volunteer coaches and teachers that'll work with people, um, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis to, to help them feel comfortable and so that they know that they can come out, participate in our clinic, and, and build that confidence to take it to the golf course. And then, of course, if we've got some people that, you know, want to take it to another level and not just be, uh, do it for recreational activity or just for fun, or therapy of, of some type, they want to go on to a more competitive level, then we can you know, possibly help them you know, take it to a more competitive level and, and do some other fun things and, and uh, play in you know, a lot of the tournaments that take place across the country and things like that. And then uh, you know, ultimately my goal would be to start this here in our community in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, and then be able to expand and take it all the way across the state of Iowa and mm -hmm. get other people involved that want to you know, if they want to uh, develop an adaptive golf program in their community, uh, we would be able to help them uh, yeah. do that uh, with some training and coaching and things like that. And you probably, maybe there are more like you, but uh, you probably could even expand regionally and do stuff like that, like Midwest area um, kind of things. And I mean, because... Yeah, and it sounds like you all, yeah, you're making a lot of headway, which is kind of cool to see. Uh, you're actually getting things going. I really like that idea of making a recreation group and a, com a competitive group, mm -hmm. or ones that want to be more competitive. Because I think sometimes it's like one or the other, a lot of times when we have disability sport things um, flying around, and it's nice to kind of recognize that some people want to compete at higher levels as well as some people don't. And I, and you know, because same thing for me, I have both options available, sure. freely available to me. So it's important that we have, that we give that, those choices to people, um, availability. So that's really nice mm -hmm. that you're doing that. Uh, another thing too is Jessie Hines. Yep. She was on the podcast maybe three or four months ago and she's a Paralympian who's on our track and field team here. Uh, and she talked about like one of the hardest things is like finding coaches in your area if like when you specialize as a Paralympian. Um, so that's cool as well that you might be able to, to coach some people up mm -hmm. um, in that golf uh, area. And yeah, and I definitely think you could probably do that very widely because obviously it's dispersed, right? Mm -hmm. It's all yeah. over the place, but maybe small pockets of people too all over. So sure. So that's awesome that you're doing all this. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Uh, it was wonderful talking to you and learning more about 
everything that you're doing in the area. And I'm very excited to tell my wife about this since we kind of alluded to some of the, yeah, uh, right. the foundation work that she's doing. It's so, a small circle here yeah, in the Cedar Valley. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on. And uh, yeah, thank you. Absolutely, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thank you.